showed Claire John Waters last night. Oh, yeah? Which polyester. What'd you think? <laughs> yeah, and this was a semi-normal one. Oh. She didn't pick up on the whole, like, uh, Mrs. Fishpod, uh, Dexter's truancy problem has gone way out of hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that whole, and I'm like, you know what that's from? And she's like, no. That's and so I ended up, had yeah. played the whole, and like, oh my god. Yeah. The legacy of John Waters. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the Criterion <laughs> Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Lee. Hello. And we have watched Francois Truffaut's 1962 film, Jules and Jim. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, that's what we did. We, we sure did. <laughs> but... It is spine number 281, which means it is time for a look back. Yes. It has been a while. It has. I don't remember anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to spend a minute trying to refresh. I don't know if, I don't know why, but it, it seems even longer since our last look back. Like, it, it, it just feels like this has been a yeah. very long time. I suppose it has been, like, fucking 20 weeks or whatever. But yeah. But, yeah, Jesus Christ. So, How many have I done now? Do we know? Um, well, your first was Fat Girl, where I'm, I'll scroll, scroll back. That was... Fitting. That was, uh, <laughs> that was number 259. Yeah. And we are now on 281. So... So that math. Math. <laughs> A few. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we'll go... What, we'll, what we normally do for our listeners who've never heard one of these before, uh, once we reach a new lot of 10 in the collection, we, um, like to look back at the previous 10, uh, give a, like, brief summation, some ideas, some thoughts, looking back, how these films have lingered, lasted, uh, which one is our favourite, and which one is probably our least out of that lot. So... The films we are looking back on, we have Touche Par Al Grisby, La Commerce Seca, Thieves Highway, Night and the City, Tout Va Bien, The River, My Own Private Idaho, La Clisse, Young Tallis, and The Sword of Doom. Mm. This is a hard one. What would you say your f- favourite was? We'll start with that. Uh, start with favorite. Um, I've got to go. I think I've got a definitive favorite, and then one or two honorable mentions. Mm. Um, favorite, without a doubt, my own private Idaho. Yeah, like it's just I, I love that film since the first time I saw it. Hadn't seen it in quite a few years, kind of purposely. So, like, I was waiting. knew knew it was coming up, so I was like waiting for it. Revisiting it again has its lulls for me. Like, I don't dig the the Shakespearean stuff as much. Um, but when that film works, it works so perfectly. And River Phoenix's performance, man, I just yeah. don't give it up for it. So that that is my uh, my pick for the best. And I want to give an honourable shout-out to uh, Night in the City. Yeah. Uh, okay. The, the fuck-up boxing promoter, like, running around the city. I yeah. had a blast with that yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And The River. The River was really good as well. Mm. What, what about you? What have, what have you got? My favourite was The River. Yep. I loved The River. I thought it was wonderful. Um, second would be My Own Private Idaho. I don't know about that in the city. I don't, I don't know. I like Young Tallest. But yeah. Yeah. Well, what about The River made it stand out for you and be that take that number one spot? Hmm. Good question. I really love the characters, probably not the main character that much, but um, the three girls, and I can't remember their names, but particularly the um, the neighbour girl, yep. the Indian girl, yep. and her dance sequence and just the different way they approach love and, yeah. I know, I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful film. I thought it was respectful of the culture. Yeah. I remember the beautiful scenes and them describing uh, life in India mm-hmm. or that part of India and just really enjoyed it, yeah. And Renoir's amazing uh, way to shoot a movie as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, like, leaning into that, I guess, like... Sorry, I'll, uh, I don't know if, like, I'm, I'm leaning into something here, but it, it's interesting that out of the whole, all of those ten films... Um, the one that, it's the only one that has female protagonists, 
Yeah. To be honest, and I'm, I'm like, I don't mean That's to... probably why. Is that a leading question? That Like, why well, that one connected with you, I guess? Or... Definitely. Mm. I don't think I need it. No. I love 12 Angry Men. I love my own private Idaho. Um, there's plenty of... Male-centric. All male, yeah, all male-centric films I like, but maybe that is why. Weirdly, though, Saving Private Ryan? Nah. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe that was it. Mm. And I don't know, like, I think... Even though the girls were discovering love and all that sort of thing, they weren't very male gazy. No, no, it, it, it was it was more. Some of the other films in this, yeah, a lot have been very male gazy. The the relationships and the the idea of the blossoming sexuality of those women, it 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 was more focused on an awakening of their selves as opposed to an awakening of, like, yeah. because of a man, like, kind of thing. And so. I remember the male character being gross and calling them, like, little kitty cat and you're like, ooh. Oh, yeah, he <laughs> was. the way they were shot and, and the way Renoir filmed them, it, it wasn't male gazy at all. No, no. Yeah. Um, what about one that you uh, liked the least? Oh, okay. Hmm, probably cast door. Oh, wait, no, that's not in the... That's not in the no, room. no. Yeah, I know. I'm like, how did it take you this long? Right in a sausage factory? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting because that's another French New Wave film, isn't it? Uh, well, it's... it's I'd, I'd almost say this is like it's post-New Wave at that point. In, okay. By 72, um, it's 10 years past Jules and Jim to put into something context of something we've watched tonight. But mm. yeah, it's... It, yeah, that one's just fuck you. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's good art. I'm not a fan for the mm, most part. And... No. Well, it's my only good art, so yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, on that note, do you want to jump into Jules and Jim? Yeah. Are you ready to do this? Yes. <laughs> oh wait, I didn't say Sword of Doom. I really enjoyed Sword of Doom as well. Mm. Yeah, you, like this. Uh, when I was editing that episode last week, like yeah, it you really dug that movie. Yeah, so. <laughs> I did. Hmm. All right, onwards and upwards with Jules and Jim. Uh, Hailed as one of the finest films ever made, Jules and Jim charts over 25 years the relationship between two friends and the object of their mutual obsession. The legendary Francois Truffaut directs, and Jean Moreau stars as the alluring and willful Catherine, whose enigmatic smile and passionate nature lures Jules and Jim into one of cinema's most captivating romantic triangles an exuberant and poignant meditation on freedom, loyalty, and the fortitude of love. Jules and Jim was a worldwide smash in 1962 and remains every bit as audacious and entrancing today. Hmm. Lee, thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) Expand on that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, okay, like right off the bat, that is a fucking bold blurb on the crate that criterion has written like mm. it is you knowing nothing about this film you see that blurb on either the blu-ray case or on the criterion channel and you're like oh shit okay i have to watch this now this yes. is like the godfather this is like gone with the wind this yes. is a fucking masterpiece yes. classic of cinema what did it, it, it's it, yeah. oh god it doesn't stand out from some of the other stuff we've been watching lately like it's very much Interesting. in line with I don't know. Maybe the content's a bit more full on. Mm. I don't know. It didn't. It just felt like one of the Criterion movies. You know, like yeah. you're saying like Gone with the Wind or Godfather, yeah. or something like one yeah. a masterpiece. Like, yeah. It's it's yeah. It is. I think it is a ty- one of those films definitely that um you know we come across them every now and again. It is a put on a pedestal. And it's it's considered to kind of be one of those like Mount Rushmore movies for world cinema, mm, I guess. But okay. whether or not the legacy outweighs the actual enjoyment of mm. watching it, I guess. Mm. Trying to figure out a nice way to put this. Like yes. it doesn't hold up, I yeah. think, under a modern lens in terms of Filmic value. I don't know. That yeah. sounds super harsh to say no, it that but, way because I actually like it. <laughs> I liked it as well, but I wouldn't say it stands out compared to some of the other films I've seen so far in the yeah. collection. It's very much a Criterion film, not a. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's uh, while you're watching it, like I remember, like God, we were about like halfway through, and you were just like, "So I'm fucking hating this," <laughs> <laughs> and you were like. What was it? You were just like, I want to have permission. To- <laughs> uh, yeah. So we we were talking about the speed at which oh, it was yeah. at. 
So when we, <laughs> it's so weird. The beginning of this film, I'm like, okay, so we're watching a comedy. It sort of has that sort of, we're watching a television show where we have the introduction of the characters. Previously on Jules and Jim. Yeah, yeah. And it's them all having fun and and, um, and and upbeat music and and you just feel like, okay, well, I'm going to be watching a comedy here. And then it just like explodes with too much information about Jules and Jim. And you're just like, what is going on? And we had to get Chris to check if the uh, speed <laughs> yeah. was normal or if he, because sometimes when we've got a long film, he'll put it on. Like the King of Kings, like yeah. watch that at times two speed. Like, yeah. 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 And so I'm like, is this, a, is this sped up? No, this is, this is the pace. This is how it goes. Yeah. It is, it just fucking starts and yeah. it is at a clip. Um, it is one where the influence of, in particular, the first 20 minutes of this film uh, rings very heavy and true. Um, like, or, like, the influence of it, like, is very much seen in modern-day cinema in terms of, like, the fast cuts, the pacing. And uh, there's one film in particular, um, Martin Scorsese was heavily inspired by this film and used the cutting pace and the voiceover and everything uh, for Goodfellas. That's what inspired him to open with that whole kinetic fast, 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 and yeah, just yeah. we and a, a big thing you kept saying while watching this was like it's very tell don't show. Yes. It, it's telling something, us about things. Something that we I brought up a few times when watching these films, and, and I was thinking of this. Um, oh, when we were watching, play, oh, I've lost it now. But the I think it was number seventy one two seventy one. Anyway, and it was like, he wore sneakers for sneaky. Oh, yeah, yeah, like La Coma Seca. Yeah, La Coma yeah. Seca, and he's just walking with his thongs, and with his clogs, I should say. We're yep. just watching him walk. Like, yep, he walked. Oh, yeah, can't we just know that they drove there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that whole Whereas this thing. one, it's like the opposite. It's like we don't see, we almost don't see much. We just get told it through narration, and it's just... This happened, and then and then week two starts. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, two, two points on that. I, I want to kind of put a cap into the whole Scorsese-ness of it. So, yeah, it, that was basically, he was like, I want to try and reinvent the gangster film because, you know, there was all those classics of the 40s and 50s, and then, you know, Coppola reinvented that, what that was with The Godfather, and then, you know, by 1990, 1991, it had kind of become a bit stale again. So he's like, I want to reinvent that i'm gonna bring in the like the jazz and the connect nature of something say like from the french new wave how that reinvented what you can do with form and structure of cinema i want to like imbue that into the gangster film and so hence we have goodfellas Mm. how we have it with that frenetic energy and voiceover and things uh jumping back to jules and jim now what I find so interesting about this in particular, this was, I think, my second time watching it. I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, it was only second time. But it's knowing where it eventually goes with essentially becoming like a thruple and that whole like where the film just essentially calms the fuck down. Mm. Um, and that complaint of you like that you had where it's like it is a very telling, not showing mm. I think on the benefit of repeat viewing for this is that's actually a great thing for this movie mm. because he's picking and choosing. He's not showing you the dull shit. Mm. Um, and in his mind, the dull shit being basically story and plot. What he, what Truffaut's interested in with this film is exploring the nature of love and romance in particular through the eyes of these two characters. So we're going to show you the scenes where that matters. And I think the comment I made was in amongst all the telling crap <laughs> it was like it was like kind of po- just post-war when they were like reconnecting yes yeah. yeah. and i remember going well i don't feel anything <clears throat> there's no opportunity to feel anything i'm just being it's like facts 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 just information in my head like yeah yeah oh, i'm getting a headache with this film it's just so much yeah and then um it's like watching a newsreel almost of yeah. like just yeah and then you're right as soon as it slowed down and we were in their Austrian yep. home. In, yeah. Um, I felt okay. I'm starting to enjoy this now. Yeah. It's it's in particular. There's the one scene where uh, Jim and Catherine go for the walk, and it's them at, by the tree, and then it's like the camera's very far away, and it's voiceover of Jim telling this fake but real story of the three of them, and by the time they get up close to the camera, the voiceover is stopped, and you realise 
that all of that voiceover stuff is it's telling us shit that we already know. Mm. And then it's well let's see now what how our characters react based on that information now and that's when the voiceover stops and comes in moves into this beautiful kind of tracking shot like oh it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's he's it's a very interestingly made film. Yeah. I guess. It's yeah. <laughs> I would definitely love the rewatch for this one because it was almost too much information at once. Yeah. And I'm sure on rewatch you'd be able to digest it a little bit more at the beginning. But um yeah, I I definitely really like this film, but yeah, that first part I was like, what is going on? Yeah. So it, it was once they got into the Austrian countryside post-war that it's, and, you know, it, for lack of a better term, calms the fuck down. You were yeah. able to be like, oh, I kind of get yeah. what he's doing in this type of story he's trying to tell at this yeah. point. And I agree with his choice because that part was interesting. Yeah. Whereas I'm sure the other part wouldn't have been. Yeah. Not as much. And, and why I think it's such an interesting film as well is because the first... Half hour, we'll say half hour, forty minutes, up until when they get into Austria. It it's so preoccupied with fucking with form and mm. style, and it's trying so hard to be cool, mm. um, which is what a lot of French New Wave cinema kind of was around that time. It's it's let's see how we can deconstruct, how we can do something new, how we can reinvent and recreate, and you know fuck with everything and make stuff that's just effortlessly fucking cool because we're amazing intelligent people in yes. in France in the 60s. Yes. Um but then how that like it's what makes this film so kind of important is like yes we can be that type of film but then we can also adhere to the style and structure of classic Hollywood and it's mm. kind of shifts into a happy medium of those two I guess those yeah. two styles. Like Truffaut knows when to be kinetic. Yeah. With his editing and his filmmaking choices, but he also knows when to lean into the traditional style. Yeah. And the first time you kind of see that is when Jim is helping Catherine pack her bags after, like, early on in the film. It all of a sudden gets it's shot like a 1940s, 1950s romantic drama. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> we said, what was it? <laughs> Jules is blonde and Jim has a moustache. Oh, yeah. And, like, but... he shaved He said, oh, now what are we going to do? <laughs> oh, now we're fucked. Yeah. Just because I feel like we just, we had so much introduction. And to not just the main characters, there's a lot of secondary characters from amongst that that yeah. uh, we don't really meet again or we might for a second later on, but they're not really important. So in that moment. Like, what, what is it? Who... Therese who smokes the cigarette like a steam train. Yeah, and like, yeah. okay. All right, I'm just trying to work out who everyone is. Yeah, and it's... I wonder if that's just... Tr it has to be just Truffaut being like... To give you... Because I don't give you the time to understand who these characters are as people. I'm just going to throw you headfirst into their world. Yeah. And hope that you get an idea of who they are. Yeah. But it's like sink or swim, I guess. Yeah, and by the time we do get to um, the Austrian house... You, you do know them. You've got a sense of yeah. who they are, the type of, you know, their relationship to each other. And yeah. And that scene that you spoke about with them in the woods, that by the end of that scene, you know exactly who our players are and where they stand. And yeah. she talks about um, Jules being passive. Yeah. And <laughs> Jules, uh, the ultimate cuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you're then fine and you can go with the storyline now and you know what's going on. Yeah. 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 And it, it's from there, it ends up being uh, kind of a frustrating film. <laughs> Interesting. Why so? Uh, in terms of like, I love the way that it's crafted and constructed, but I don't like the story, I guess. Or I, I think uh, that's really a bit harsh to say like it's it's I find it frustrating to watch because it's it's not just Jules who ends up becoming passive I think Jim himself as well becomes it, it's it's a hard one to fucking try yeah. and formulate your thoughts on <laughs> especially after just re-watching but it's, it's like yeah, there was that meme going around for a while where it's just like the villain who most people think is the villain but who is 
actually the villain of this yeah. film. And it's it, like, we were sitting there and we were like, oh, wow, Catherine's a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we were. So, yeah. And I think... They describe her as the queen and she yeah. wants to be have their attention. There's a scene early on where Jules and Jim are playing... I don't know, dominoes? Yes, it looks like yes. dominoes. It's a lot of dominoes in this game, okay. in this movie. Yeah, and she waltzes in and they're in the middle of their game and she wants attention and they're not giving it to her. So she says something like, I just said something funny, please laugh or something like that. Yeah. And later in the film, Jules talks about uh, how she's the queen and we must give her the attention she wants and it almost feels like when the attention starts to wane or yeah they become more comfortable she oh. loses interest oh totally and well it's not it's not necessarily it's i think it's something along the lines of why do you think such a desirable interesting fascinating woman has spent her life with us it's because we give her all the attention she craves yeah and so by the, like that's where this film gets interesting. Like when you actually take a step back and you like, yeah, analyze what the fuck is actually up with Catherine. Yeah. And it's she's such an interesting character that I I feel bad just kind of throwing her away. It's like she's a manipulative evil kind of fucking. She is yeah. the villain though. She's I the agree. like the I villain. I called her that when like, we were watching that. So yeah. don't worry. But 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 having watched it and like the further away you get from it, you realize. Like, the second the credits rolled, Claire, rightfully so, was just like, so what do we diagnose Catherine at? Like, <laughs> like now, you know, this isn't, you know, 1919. Like, she was, she's clearly bipolar. She's, like, all of these things. Like, you're manic-depressive, bipolar. There's all of this stuff that's happening with her where modern day we have a context for that, whereas back then it's... Not. So this film is obviously very taboo for the time. Mm. And it probably... Mm, I don't know. I just think we know so much about different types of relationships. And, and personality pers- types as well. And personality types, diagnosis, mm. polyamory, you know, all that sort of thing. I I wasn't really shocked and horrified. Like, no. not horrified, but like, <gasps> by this film. Yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, it's one of those relationships. I think what... Shocking is the time it's set in, and it's not. It would never have been okay for her to live the life that she wanted. So no. she was polyamorous, obviously, and she... and that's where you get the wonderful line of like the people in the village called them the lunatics. Yes, like yeah, they are like you know labeled the other. <laughs> but it's more than polyamorous. She, it's for me. But it's gonna... well, that's what's interesting. It's not polyamory. It is. She is with Jules, but then she leaves Jules to go be with Jim, and then she goes to try and be with someone else, but is like goes to essentially she, cheat on. She yeah gets off on weird. making people jealous or or getting the attention, but also it's she feels almost guilty to some degree by cheating. She doesn't want to be in multiple relationships at the same time. No, she that's true. Like the only times that she technically cheats on Jules is like out of. school like misplaced scorn and understanding and like a yeah. sense of getting even. I really loved how she explained. I love that scene of them in the forest. I thought that just set up the rest of the film so beautifully and helped me digest the first half of the film. But she talks about, so we've, we've had a scene with Jules and Jim talking about how she's going away and having relations with other men and coming back and going away and coming back, even the night before our wedding. And so we've just had that information, but yeah. then we get it from her side and it's, she met Jules's mother and uh, Jules didn't stand up for her when I think uh, Jules's mother had said something, I can't yeah. remember. So out of spite or out of scorn, as you put it, she yeah. went and had one more fling. With her ex-lover, with her- Harold. Harold. <laughs> <laughs> um, that you know, swinging dick. Just, yeah. <laughs> Harold. <laughs> she's not... Just there's thought there, I suppose. There's yeah. purpose. There's reason, but it, in it, her head, and it's it's not. <sighs> What's interesting about the film is it presents, like in particular, her, her lack of a better word, infidelities, mm-hmm. as we're presented with how Jules interprets them or like perceives them, and then the film, in a great way, actually shows the other and like shows her perspective of mm. like how and why she went through all these and kind of leaves you as the audience to like, you've heard both sides make up for yourself. Like the mo- we, the movie itself is not judging her. 
it's it's you as the audience it put yeah. onto that however you whatever you want to put on to it mm. um but i think the thing that frustrates me about it is Catherine's motivations and like everything that's revealed about her as a character reveals such a narcissist mm. that it makes it hard for me to sympathize with her yes oh 100% like the idea that Jules didn't stand up to his mother saying something about me, so I'm going to go sleep with someone else on her wedding yeah. the night before our wedding. I'm like, I think that's a little bit of an overreaction. I agree. I agree. But I mean more that there was reason in her mind. Yes. Yes. That- well, that, and, and the film very, like, amazingly so presents that for us. Mm. If it... It would be a way different film if we were never presented her side of the tale and, and I you know, afforded that opportunity. I think when we're calling her a cunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's Also, we should explain, we're Australian. Yeah. The word cunt is just, just yeah. We just use it. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, but for me, it was when um, Catherine would ask Jules, does Jim love me? Do you think he loves me? Hmm. Jules, tell me, does Jim love me? I'm like, Jesus, this man loves you so much that even if he can't have you, he'll have another man, his best friend, no less, be with you just so he can live in the same house and be around you. That's how much he loves you. So he can, yeah, that amazing line where it's just like, I, you know, I want you to be with her just so, because I'm so afraid of losing losing her. her. This way, at least she'll still be in my life. And I think that's when we were saying, what are we diagnosing her with? Because to be so unempathetic and cruel yeah, yeah. is just awful. But the thing is, I don't think she is... She doesn't perceive her actions as being cruel. And I think that's also a fault of Jules himself. The I, the fact that he is so passive with what what is going on with his relationship to Catherine, like, it allows that kind mm, of actions and 100%. like for that yeah so it's you know yeah yeah it's it's a really interesting like fucking examination it on is. what is relationships what is love what can be acceptable what it can like and ex- by acceptable i mean like what one person is willing to accept into their life That's as true something like you know jules is totally fine no longer having that intimate relationship with Catherine. he's just so like happy that it's like, hey, I had that time with you. We have a daughter. That's fantastic. I, I just still like ha- the opportunity to still have you in my life. That's all I need. It's crazy, huh? It, like it, imagine yeah. that. I just I couldn't imagine that. But then like let's have a look at Jim as like a opposite of that. He's someone who like right at the beginning the film is uh, Jules had no luck with women. Jim had all the luck with yes. women, and so. He's someone who, in his youth, was very experienced and, like, knew how, you know, to be a suave motherfucker. <laughs> like, you know, he knew how to wear a hat. <laughs> um, sure did. Where, and so when he is presented with this, he, he is more, like, willing to throw away, not throw away, but, like, be reticent or hesitant with Catherine, mm. I guess, and... He definitely loves her. Like, he does not even break up with his fiance when he goes and essentially tries to have a baby with Catherine. And I think I want... He's, the, he's more of a pragmatist, I guess, yeah. with, with love. I think definitely he's more experienced and all that, but he's just heard all these tales of her not being settled for long. Yeah. And he knows. Hmm. He knows that this is going to be what it'll be. Well, well, is that what it is? You've got essentially Jules representing, like, the traditional romantic... I guess. Uh, You have Catherine being essentially like the modernist, like the idea of uh, I want the immediacy, I want love, however I can get it. Like what what do I want and how can I get it right now to fill Mm -hmm. that need? And Jim being more the pragmatist of like I don't necessarily love in a traditional sense, but I'm going through the motions because that's what you do. do. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And it's like, let's see what happens when all of these elements and examinations of different aspects of love collide. Yeah. And what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. But I think if I had a friend and they were going out with Catherine, I'd tell them to run. <laughs> <laughs> that, that bitch that bitch, crazy. <laughs> she, she gonna kill you. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I loved that. Okay. Should we get to the pulling the gun scene? <laughs> So funny. That like blew you guys away, and I loved that. Yeah. 
Because <laughs> you knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, yeah. And I knew where the ending was coming as well, so... Yeah. I just... There was, like... There's some moments where I do, like, feel for her. And when she talks about the babies they would have had and they would have been so beautiful, she starts crying, like, oh, And mm. then she fucking pulls a gun out. <laughs> do you think she actually had a miscarriage? Or was that all just a ploy? Mm, I think it was a ploy. Yeah. Because I think they talked about her being ill or something in the letters and she was sitting up. Oh, no, no. It's, uh, Jim was saying he was ill oh, as like okay. the excuse not to go and see her and because he's just like, bitch, you cray-cray. I, I, I'm, with, I'm with Gilbert now. Gilbert? I know. <laughs> oh, no, Gilbert. But I just like saying Gilbert. It looked like Gilbert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just Johnny Depp in a wig. <laughs> um, yeah. No, that was that was... That was crazy. Mm. But, like, what, what what do you think makes this film stand out? Like, why that amazing intro that, like, Criterion has written about it. it. What, for you, on a first-time viewing, stands out? And do you think it deserves... Like, not... Yeah, I yeah. know what you mean. So I definitely think all the uh, French New Wave stuff at the beginning would have been... is obviously very influential to other filmmakers... I think the exploration of love and different forms of it and, um, you know, back in the day this would have been crazy. This is Truffaut's fourth film and the film that essentially kicked off the French New Wave is his first film, The 400 Blows. Uh, So this is 1962, 400 Blows, 1959. So it's only three years away. It's gone bang, bang, bang. Yeah. So this is a very new style of filmmaking and this like yeah it's it's groundbreaking yeah it'd be like showing someone like in the 70s like you know an avengers movie or something they'd be like fucking what yeah, yeah or like yeah. you know the, 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 i hate i hate that example <laughs> why did i even say it, it's, no i know oh, but it's like jurassic two, park <laughs> yes better example because way the fuck better movies yes. um movie yeah. <laughs> um or, no it's a better example is like when 2001 comes out yes and that is so groundbreakingly different mm. that it makes people sit up in their seats mm. and pay attention. And so I guess that's kind of what this film does, but I think it... I think it more... So, like, a lot of people, like us, even now, we're, like, focusing in on the stylistic elements of that, but I, I think a lot of it is thematically, like, what it's... yeah. Doing and saying, I think, helps makes that helps to make that impact possible. Yeah. So craft-wise, you're meaning like yeah, yeah, like it, it's examining such a simple, small story, but in such a deep way. Mm. I think is not something you know that is normally done in films at this time. Fucking French man. I know, right? motherfuckers. It, 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 what's the joy thing of, like, Truffaut being a film critic who was just like, well, I, you know... It, it's that similar Peter Bug. I love the stories of film critics who then, like, it's essentially like, well, nut up or shut up. And then, like, <laughs> they do and they're fucking masters. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know... Nice. Truffaut, P- Peter Bogdanovich and stuff. And you're just like, all right. <laughs> so he was a film critic yeah. first and yeah. then turned filmmaker. Which is, so, which is that whole thing of, like, oh, so you studied and knew how... That's why he was so familiar with the form and structure of traditional cinema, where he's just like, well, why are we doing it this way? Yeah. Why can't, can't we, we do it the other way? Yeah. yeah. Why can't we, like, hey, have our two protagonists be obsessed with this statue of what they personify? Like, they think is a personification of pure beauty, and then when our female protagonist is introduced, we mimic the, the shots, shots of that, like, in this bizarre way. Like, I've got to say, there was so much in that. I think I poo-pooed on that beginning. There was so much in that that I loved, but I think I was just trying to go, where the fuck am I? Who the fuck am I with? You're on a bullet train on? At yeah. that, for that first bit. And yeah. that's what I mean, like, rewatch. I think, would be... You'd be able to digest it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's... There's so many little elements, like... Like, there was the odd part where it's just like, oh, you know, I, there's this girl, Catherine, and then Jules has been like, not this one, Jim. Like that. But the importance of that line, but and then he it's subtitled out of nowhere. And you and Claire, it's like, the fuck? I'm like, it's like a fucking Tarantino movie, man, where it's like choosing to lay out an important... Like, it starts so... Like, it, this is the... Like, I was shitting on it a bit earlier, but the elements of French New Wave that I love where it's like... Just being cool. Yeah. <laughs> just there are so many elements of this movie being so 
fucking cool. Yeah. Like when they're, and that scene where they were playing dominoes and it's like, I'm pretty sure I said something funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then it's, I normally have this look on my face and it's the freeze frames. Yes, that like was good. It's so rad. And I think Catherine's character at the beginning is cool. Yeah. She's very alluring. She's very honest and brutally honest. I love how she has perfume and he's like, what's that for? And she says, it's... Um, Sulfuric acid. Foot, foot, burn the... What's Word to throw in the eyes of men who tell lies. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. So great. And, and I love, you know, how honest she is with Jim when in the forest and she just tells it how it is. Yeah. And she's... That's her allure. You know, she's cool and she... I love when she puts the moustache on. She pretends to oh, be a man. Yeah. The, the whole opening section, you under... The film goes almost out of its way to be like... You also, as an audience, fall in love with Catherine because she is so fucking cool Cool. and interesting and engaged in the world. Like, she's the type of woman who will just out of nowhere because the conversation's boring her, jump into the river. Yeah. Just to be like, fuck it. And then, but then by the time you get to the end of the film, again, ending with her jumping into a fucking river. Ah, I didn't make that connection. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's, you realize, like, oh, this is not okay behave like it's especially like and that's the whole transition thing you're like she's cool and engaging at the beginning like i'm pretty sure i said something funny that's okay when you're a 20 year old yeah but then by the end of the film like she's like this is 25 years of these people's lives and she has not matured or progressed or grown no and it's she's had no consequences for her actions exactly and i was about to say like i it's not necessarily her fault mm. it, it's the fault of the men that Jules and Jim that love her and don't necessarily allow her the opportunity to grow yeah so yeah it's interesting <laughs> yeah and she's less happy for it yeah really. oh she fucking kills herself yeah <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> yeah and yeah. yeah she kills herself and Jim yeah so why Jim because she was he was the only one to maybe refuse her yeah not maybe. That's what happened. Yeah, well, it, it was that whole thing, and that's why it's, you know, there's... Yeah, I don't think it necessarily... There's way deeper... The, like, those waters run deeper than you said no to me. It was yeah. more like, yeah. Like we said, like, there's there's some diagnosing needing to go yeah. on here, So, But he's with another woman. She's feeling, I don't know, neglected. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Yeah, it's... Yeah. yeah. But no, there's definitely some diagnosing needing going on there. But you know, of all three of them, fuck it. Let's like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. They were before their time. Hmm. I wonder if she was a modern woman and she could have had these sorts of relationships and thrived, and she might have had a better outcome. The the film that I kept thinking of, like to draw like a modern day comparison, it, I, it reminds me a lot of Five Hundred Days of Summer. I haven't seen it. Um, where it's basically like, oh, it's like this idealized relationship and you're like, oh no, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's a fucking psycho and a monster and it's like the saboteur of his own thing and you're like, oh, this is a kind of inverse version of kind of playing homage to that and it's ultimately makes you hate the character. Yes. Um, but you're almost like, ah, it's almost like... You just need to grow, man. Like, you need to yeah. have that growth and progression of a character. You definitely end up hating Catherine, particularly when she f- meets up with them. And she's got that, she looks like a little boy. <laughs> yeah. she got that little hat on. And, and, and then, the weird little plaid dress. Yeah. Yeah, and then they go into the cafe, and then, she remember, she brings her silk pyjamas. Yeah, because it's like, I'm going to go home with one of you. Like, yeah. Which one's it going to be? And then she goes home with the other guy. I can't remember his Albert. name. Albert. Albert. Um... But she walks off with them as if to say we're leaving and then goes, give me my pyjamas back. Which Actually, I'm going to go off and... Which is... And it's like the great thing of them them viewing it as like brilliant second act of a play. Like, it's almost like, well, she pulled us a... Like an M. Night Shyamalan-esque twist here. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, Bruce Willis was a ghost all along. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's and they're like, you gotta hand it to her. She's fucking a theatric like she throws in theatrics and she is very theatrical. And that's where I think it is like the fucking full stop of Jim being like, she is manipulative. I want no part of this anymore. Like a done. Mm. And then I think by that is what ends up having the the reaction that ends up being the end of the film. Yeah. 
So what is it like the next day that happens or something? No, uh, no, no. It's 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 yeah. the SpongeBob SquarePants four hours later, <laughs> <laughs> several Seven months, months later. later, and then it's like. Um, then the bed scene where she wants to shoot him and yeah. Oh no no no! It's uh it's randomly bumping into each other in the movie theater That's and it's like oh right. c- let's go for a drive. I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it's wild. So wild. Um, I want to give you permission to be a little bit harsh on this movie now if you want. Yeah. Um, for the last few weeks we've been uh our lovely listener uh Captain Internationalist has been saying. That there's one film coming up that he really hates. And this was it. Oh my god. Yeah, he wow. said it's a film that frustrates me. Uh, Jules and Jim. Um, millions love that film, just not me. But he uh, <laughs> he might have to rewatch it uh, for this episode. So Interesting. Yeah. But I would not have picked this one. I I I had a feeling, like I ended up picking it, but uh, like in an email he, back. Yeah. yeah. But ah. it was because I think it, it it's I think you laid a bread trauma of it's one that you wouldn't expect and it's like, oh no, I can I can definitely get Does he like Toot Fabienne then? Uh no, I think he hated that. Uh, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure mo- like all the emails we got on that one, people were just like, Yeah, that, that made me feel so much <laughs> That made me feel so much better. Yeah. So it's, and again, that's the fun thing of this. It's like, we're not doing deep analysis. It's like, no, how we that's it. reacted to these films. I mean, there's so. no way we could do all the research and work to yeah. so, which watch le- it five times or something. Which leads me to the question of, like I said, this was my second time watching this and picking up and like knowing where it all goes and what it, like, I'm yeah, kind of able to examine it a little bit better. Do you think this is one you'll ever go back to? No. No. Just, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, I said rewatching would be make it easier to digest. Doesn't mean I'm going to. Yeah, okay. No, that, well, that's fair. What about you? You like it, don't you? I I like it. Yeah. I don't love it. It is by no. I would not probably even put it in my top five Truffauts. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I I really like the Antoine Duanel films. So. Yeah. Are it, they it, all all the good ones passed or No, no. There's still more coming oh, up. Good. So yeah. Um, but it would be almost one, uh, especially like with your profession, I'd be almost like, like you should probably just watch 400 blows. I think you'd, okay. you'd really enjoy that one. It's short and nice and easy, but yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, I get its importance 100% and its impact, um, and the influence that it's had, but it doesn't make it any less of a frustrating watch. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Hmm. Um, any final thoughts before we kind of move on to some trivia and whatnot? Or no, go good for trivia. You yeah. good? That's the problem with these French New Waves. They are fucking hard to tackle because it's like, the story's this. Yeah. Uh, there's not <laughs> much else to... Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh, well, some trivia might prompt some stuff. So the film was nominated for two BAFTAs, Best Film from Any Source and Best Foreign Actress. And the Carhe du Cinema listed it as the second best film of 1962. Uh, the film is also included on Roger Ebert's list of great movies. Cool. Um, well, yeah, I totally had forgotten to bring up any of this. Uh, why there's so much uh, narration and kind of jumping and time skipping stuff. Uh, the film is based off of a very classic French novel. Mm. Uh, or a very well-known French novel uh, by Henri-Pierre Rocher. Uh, Truffaut came across the original novel uh, in the mid-1950s while browsing through some second-hand books in Paris. Uh, he then later went on to befriend the author. Oh. And uh, unfortunately, um, Rocher died uh, while the film was in production and Truffaut was heartbroken. He never got to see oh. the filmed version of his classic novel. So that's why there is so much whimsical, almost poetic narration i think it is Truffaut being a friend and admirer of rocher that it's i want to not fuck with your writing i want to just include wholesale elements of your writing Mm. um francois Truffaut's script also drew on material from the diaries of rocher that he'd kept for nearly 60 years uh the narration at the start of um yeah do you care about the time frame yeah uh, so the movie starts in 1912, and uh, the movie that they're watching in the cinema is An Andalusian Dog, which came out on June 6th, 1929. 
So therefore, that's with the the time frame. Ah. Yes. Um, uh, Rocher's original novel was based on his own experiences as a young man. The original Catherine was still alive when the film was released and even attended the premiere incognito. Oh. Yeah. That got a reaction from Claire on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was like embellishment for dramatic sake. (laughs) But. Yeah. Give some closure on it all. Uh, Truffaut was so nervous on the opening night of this film that he didn't attend the premiere. Instead, he went and watched a Marx Brothers movie. Awesome. <laughs> some slapstick comedy to chill your nerves. Yeah. Um, I think another reason why this film is so kind of lauded and considered important is uh, there was a crew of only 15 people that made this movie. So it was very small, very independent. Uh, The production was so small and had so little money that Jean Moreau was often called upon to lend her Rolls Royce for ferrying around props. Wow. (laughs) So she was a rich, famous actress, but she was like, yeah, I want to do this film. And so it's like, you have a car. We don't. (laughs) Can you help lug around props? I was going to say, and and not the same thing, but there was a lot of real footage from the time, I'd imagine. Yeah, that was what's cool, actually. Whenever it's talking about, like, say, the war and, like, transitional periods in time, it's showing real footage footage taken from 1912, 1917. And it has been the jarring... Because you know how that footage is always kind of... It almost feels sped up. Yeah. Like it's going a bit too fast. It's it's not... It's the hand cranking and not being able to get it right. Um... Then we have, like, a still almost shot of them entering an apartment, like an establishing shot. And yeah. it, it's just, I remember it being quite like, oh. Oh, we're back into shocking us awake almost. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Anyway. Uh, Jim Moreau also did some of the catering, uh, particularly in the scenes where Jim visits Jules and Catherine in, uh, in the countryside. Uh, when the production ran out of money... That actually happened. Uh, Jean Moreau bailed it out uh, with her own personal finance finances wow. so Good yeah it was a labor of love for everyone involved which is why i find it so funny that the beginning of the film uh, just because i'd prepped all this trivia before we watched and it's it, we get all the credits at the beginning and you were like all right and movie done <laughs> like we get, we're getting every fucking name now it's like yeah yeah that's literally everyone that worked on this film was yeah. there at the beginning all 15 of them <laughs> oh my goodness. um okay drawing back to the river uh, Jean Renoir was a particular fan of this film and actually wrote uh, Francois Truffaut a letter expressing his pleasure with watching it. Oh. Uh, Truffaut carried that letter with him around for years in his pocket. Aww, I know, so right? Cute. How fucking lovely is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jean Moreau had to jump into the river herself because her stunt double turned up drunk. <laughs> Yep. Uh, she then had to spend two days sick in bed from getting a cold and drinks from it. Yeah, that fucking river water, man. Oh, it's great. Imagine jumping to the Yarra. Like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Gross. Um, director of photography Raoul Cotard uh, used lightweight photographic equipment that hadn't been used before to create a fluid style of to the camera work, even in some shots mounting cameras onto bicycles. Hmm. I think in particular, like, the bridge scenes and stuff, like, like the running, the race across the bridge, a lot of that, you know. Maybe, it's, like, when they were looking at the trash on the way to the beach when they got lost yeah. or something. It, it's kind of trying to, you know, let's go super handheld on yeah. this. It's not really what you do. Uh, Truffaut hated filming love scenes. Uh, that's why the scene uh, with Jim and Catherine is shot in half darkness and it's just the most awkward, muppety kiss of all time on cinema. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it reminded me of, like, the Team America puppets. Like, just kind of <laughs> clunking their heads together. <laughs> if you're awkward, then your your stars are going to be awkward. Yeah. Let's ex- just put it that way. Exactly. It's like, I don't know, why are we doing this? Why'd you make this? Why'd you write it into the script, buddy? <laughs> you can just, like, you know, fade away. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, this I found was interesting. This was Stephen Hawking's favorite film of all time. Wow. A bit of random <laughs> trivial trivia. That is very trivial trivia. Yeah. And, uh, the final one had to end on this. Uh, this is one of the earliest foreign films to be distributed in the U.S. by two Harvard students, Cyrus Harvey and Brian Halliday, under their newly formed company, Janus Films. Uh, Janice went on to distribute all sorts of classic foreign films and is now owned by Criterion. Yay! So this is uh, back when they were just two uh, college students in Harvard. They were wanting to 
expand world cinema, uh, got the rights and distributed this, and look at it now. I'm surprised with the the synopsis and that information there that it's number 281. You yeah. think it'd be earlier. Yeah, totally. Um, it was, again, I think it is those, like, who eventually, like, cleaning up, like, you know, the, I don't know, the rights issue stuff, and it's transporting things across from the Laserdisc library across to the DVD and then eventually the Blu-ray. It's all... I... Yeah. Yep. It, I, I swear to God, like, the... next, Like, when I go to New York next, I'm just gonna send Criterion an email and try and fucking interview people there, like, you for the should. podcast. Like, holy shit, need to... Need to get some answers yeah. on some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is gonna be an interesting one because she's in the room with us. And she watched the film with us. Yes. But prior to that, she had recorded her... Claire gave us a synopsis on what she thinks this film's about. Yeah. Do you want to have a listen? Yes. All right, that music means it is time for another installment of Claire's... What's that movie about? Alrighty, we have a we have a French film for you this week Ooh. from 1962. Okay, uh, directed by Francois Truffaut. If that rings any bells, who? Oh, never mind. Uh, and it is called Jules and Jim. Jules and Jim. Mm-hmm. French film, 1962. What's it about? Jules and Jim. Well. While you hear Jules and you think maybe, like, that's a female's name, it's not. It's actually short for Julian. So Julian and Jim are two best friends and they have grown up together. They go on, like, a gap year. What's the old-fashioned version of a gap year? They're going traveling. Yeah, yeah. They're doing their like big trip around the rest of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they end up back in France on the coast, on the coast, and they're like in Nice. Actually, no, they go to Morocco. Oh, okay. And they get into hijinks and they get stuck and into big troubles in the casinos in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Why I say... Yeah, yeah. So like, I, I said Morocco, but I meant Monaco. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm gonna take yeah. that back. All right, that that makes it. That looks, makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> Casinos in Monaco. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm on the wrong side of the Mediterranean in my brain. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, they so they're gambling. They're gambling too much, mm-hmm. and then someone's out to not to kill them, but to get the money back. But they're threatening their lives, so they're on the run. So, but a little bit more kind of like, like almost like a farce, you're kind of thinking a little bit, or is it? Is that like, a farce, it, or is it? Or like, you know, a kind of light-hearted nature, or is it, or is this more serious? I'm going with serious. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. serious. Yeah. Jules and Jim. Uh, all Jules right. and Jim. Jules and Jim. <laughs> um, you got closer than I think you've gotten before with the, the whole actually picking Jules and like being yeah, a guy. I thought you were going to make Jules a girl. Yeah. And the, and the fact that they were best friends, like yeah, you got some good stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then then she was pretty far up, but yeah. I, I like her version. Yeah, it didn't become good. like a gambling ex- escapade, <laughs> like yeah. Um, but on the note of uh, getting things kind of close, uh, you got a tagline for this one? <laughs> I do, but I want you to go first. All right, uh, I'm going. This is a tough one. Um, mm. All I could, could yeah, all I could come up with with uh, for this one is. Jules and Jim, love is strange. Yeah. Short, short simple, simple. Love it. Yeah, basically, like, you know, 50s blues song, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, love it. Mine is Jules and Jim, just have a threesome. <laughs> <laughs> Jules and Jim, just fuck already. <laughs> you, oh, man, there's so many scenes you just want, like, I'm yelling at the TV for Jules and Jim. It's like, kiss, just kiss already, God Yeah, damn it. everything. Be better then. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. 
Uh, but on that note, uh, we'll talk about the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, so it's still in print from Criterion as a three-disc combo DVD Blu-ray. It's also available on the Criterion channel. It comes with two audio commentaries, one featuring co-screenwriter uh, Jean Geralt, longtime Francois Truffaut collaborator, Suzanne Schiffman, editor Claudine Boucher, and film scholar Annette Insendorf. Oh, Insdorf. Uh, the other featuring actor Jean Moreau and the Truffaut biographer Serge Tobiana. Tobiana? Yeah. Uh, excerpt from The Key to Jules and Jim from 1985, a documentary about Henri Pierre Rocher and his real life relationship that inspired the novel and film. Interviews with Geralt and cinematographer Raoul Cotard. Uh, conversation between film scholars Richard Stamm and Dudley Andrews. Except from the 1965 episode of the French TV program, Sinise de Notre Temps, dedicated to Truffaut. Segment from the 1969 episode of the French TV series, uh, L'Envet... L'Envet de Dimanche, featuring Truffaut, Moreau, and filmmaker Jean Renoir. Excerpt from Truffaut's first appearance on American television. Oh, Christ Almighty! <laughs> a 1977 interview on the, from the New York Film Festival with the New York Film Festival director Richard Roud. Excerpt from the 1979 American Film Institute seminar given by Truffaut. Audio interview with Truffaut from 1980, <laughs> as well as the usual booklet and essays the Criterion usually do. Well done, well done, Chris. I've got. To... Oh, there's also a trailer. Oh. <laughs> I've got to say, your pronunciation, I mean, I wouldn't know, but it sounds good. <laughs> I, I attempt with French. I, that's <laughs> the closest I can speak a little bit. <laughs> like, the smallest bit. Better than your English, let's put it that way. Yeah, at least. Um, but I guess, unless any final thoughts, Jules and Jim? No. No? Uh, do you want to tell me about next week? Yes. I. Well, I can not just tell you about next week. I can show you oh. next week. Uh, this is a set that I have. There we go. Next week... Next episode is Andre Vaja, three war films. Oh, I thought it was Wadja. Like, what do you want? Vaja. Vaja, okay. Uh, I believe that's <laughs> how it's pronounced. Um, so, I think this is our first multiple episode. Oh, I am sad. Not because of the multiple, just because of the time. Yeah, it, okay. So, which leads me to previously what Tom and I would do with these is we would watch all of them and then record the episode. Mm-hmm. But for these, I'm almost thinking, like, fuck it, let's try something new. Do you want to watch... What are your thoughts on this? Do you want to watch all three, then record? Or do you want to watch one, record a segment, move on to the next, I honestly, I, I think we need to record after each one because, I mean, I just looking back at that top last ten, I don't even remember... Like, in, in one ear, out the other? I, yeah, I'll, I'll not do a good job if yeah. we do it all at once. And in particular, uh, obviously, I've, I've got this box set. I am a... Big fan of two Ooh. of these films, and I don't think tell me which ones. I won't, and I <laughs> I think you will really enjoy at least one of them. Okay. So, I yeah, I think by muddying that with watching all at once kind of thing might yeah might confuse a little bit. So I'm gonna try something new. We'll see how it goes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're looking at run times. I can tell. What, what years are they? Oh, 1958. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was looking at seven hours. What the fuck? <laughs> it was that moment that Lee exited the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, we hope uh, we did Jaws and Jim justice. I don't know. Yeah. It raises more questions than we can give answers. Yeah, that's just our take, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. But um, otherwise, uh, if you want to hear more of us gabbing on about whatever, you can head over to patreon.com slash thecriterionquest where each month we do uh, some lovely commentary tracks as well as uh, posting videos and photos. And uh, there's the little spin-off new show that I'm doing with Toby called, uh, previous guest Toby, uh, doing called Great Scott, mm. working our way through the filmographies of Ridley and Tony Scott, <laughs> trying to figure out who is the better Scott brother. <laughs> so far, Ridley's winning because we're about to put out Blade Runner and it's, it's the one-two punch of Alien and Blade Runner. You're like, all right. Yeah. Tony's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> what, what have you got for me, Tony? Oh, Beverly Hills Cop 2? <laughs> Top Gun? Oh, okay. <laughs> They're fine, but yeah. Uh, but otherwise, you can say, uh, so head over there. I'll link to it in the episode notes and the description on this. Um, otherwise, follow us on Instagram. Lee's doing a fucking killer job over there. 
Um, or you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise, we will be back in a fortnight's time with a triple feature of War Films by Andre Vajja. Uh Thank you again for listening. For this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. <laughs>